Welcome to the 10th episode of the readings from the book, The Holy Ground of Funny Creek, Reflections of a Small Town Pastor, written by Reverend I. Dean Jordan. Read to you by John Jordan. Reverend Jordan wrote in the preface that he began his ministry in 1950 and retired for the first time in 1988, after serving almost 40 years as a United Methodist minister. Then after retiring, he spent another four years as a part-time minister for the United Church of Christ. As he looked back on his ministry, he realized that these 50 years have been like no other in challenging our faith, and he thought somebody should write a book about it. Not a grand, sweeping view of religious history, but insights gained in serving local congregations as we struggle to put our faith into practice. This book that he put together consists of essays, sermons, and liturgy that he has written over the course of his ministry. In the sermon that we're reading today, is titled, Love, a Phenomenon of Abundance, written February 18, 1962, in the Rosedale Methodist Church, Kansas City, Kansas. The purpose of the sermon is to show the way to the resources of God's boundless love that we might love in turn. Love thy neighbor. Our Lord commands, and we who acknowledge allegiance to God, march forth to obey. But how do you obey that to which obedience gives the lie? Love is not to be commanded, ordered, or authoritatively enforced. Acts of love can be commanded, just as sex can be enacted where love itself, condemned and outcast, no longer finds a home. But is not the outward deed our Lord intends obeyed. It is the inward orientating of the self he seeks, such that the law, no longer ruling, is yet obeyed. A paradox confronts us. The uncommandable is commanded. Its fulfillment, love made known, is expected. How do we go about obeying the unobeyable, and especially when we work or live in the midst of the milling throngs of urban society, the clamor and the dirt of the city, and here find our neighbor raucously honking his horn at our slower response to the traffic signals beckoning green, hustling down the crowded walks in store-bent hordes, hoarsely cheering their team or ours amongst the sardine humanity in stadiums of sport, and afterward disgorging from the parking lots careening their cars across our lanes of traffic, leaving refuse strewn around the seats and in their parking spots. How in the midst of the overwhelming press of humanity are we to love these intrusive people? A poet catches this clamorous exclusion of God from the city when he writes, Children playing on asphalt pavements, once removed from nature's earth, compassed by mountains of man-placed stone, brick, and structured wood, pounded with motors' roar and honking disoriented blast, choked on air corrupt with fumes, exhaust of motor, mill, and stockyard. What act of God can bridge this moat of man? The author is the poet. Nor are man-made artifacts the only moats cutting us off from God's inpouring love. There are the animosities of the soul, hatred, envy, greed, lust, to name but a few of the spiritual roadblocks forbidding passage to the supply trains of God's love. Our passions are fanned to flame by the peddlers of pornography, whipped up by the entrepreneurs of our acquisitive society, and nurtured by the enunciations of false nationalism. And when exhausted, 
if not captured by the flagellations of these demon spirits, we retreat into our shells of indifference and apathy. These roadblocks, while no longer growing, are also not being removed. And our spirits thirst in the arid wastes of Invectus, where a man foolishly claims to be captain of his soul. How then can we obey that which is beyond obedience? We who are confused by the city's clamor, with souls distorted by the sins of our humanness. Love is a phenomenon of abundance. One can love only out of the fullness of love they have received. This insight gleaned from the theology's pages is focused in the Bible's holy words. We love because God loved us first. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. When we reach out to God, we are overwhelmed with God's love, so that which has been commanded is no longer thought of in terms of command and obey, but is fulfilled in willing joy. Until we reach out, the command is there to keep us constrained. But once in faith, reaching out, the law, like a governess, is outgrown. And in faith we are set free to love and live and thrill in the goodness of God. Galatians chapter 3, verse 23, and chapter 5, verse 20. Love, love, coursing through the channels of faith as water courses through the irrigation aqueducts, brings vibrant, fertile life to the arid wastes of our sheltered apathy. Having love, when a person has need of our coat, we give them our cloak as well. And while the world is busy loving friends, we love our enemies as well. For beneath us, and around us, and arching overhead are the everlasting arms of a benevolent God, the Father of our Lord, Jesus Christ. O ye of little faith, how the Christ reads our minds as he reads the minds of old. To us, who let the routines and clutter of living surround us with the insulation against God's love, Christ speaks. Do not be anxious about your food or clothing, O people of little faith. Matthew 6.30 Don't be afraid of the storms at sea, O people of little faith. Matthew 7.26 Don't be puzzled by my teachings, O people of little faith. Matthew 16.8 The love of God is all around, in abundance, waiting to be received by those who have faith. The moat has been bridged. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in the Son should have eternal life. John 3.16 Besmirched, smogged in, hidden in the crowdedness of urban life, yet God's love is here, waiting to be claimed and transmuted into an abundance of human love. It waits only for the development of that kind of disciplined sensitivity that can see beauty revealed in the blossom on the window's ledge, in the ordered plantings of the farmer's fields, in the panoramas of artists' landscapes, and also in the peacefulness of the plains and the ruggedness of the Rockies. Let those who have ears to hear, hear, and those who have eyes to see, see. And the things they see and hear in faith will be to them the presence of God, though to others it may be only the clack and clatter of kitchen cooking. There was a man, a crippled veteran, who, near the age of forty, sought out a monastery in which to discover inner peace. Not qualified to be a monk, he was assigned the position of lay brother, and put at the disagreeable tasks of the monastery kitchen. When at first he tried to follow the set routines of prayer, he couldn't keep his mind from wandering. Nor could he regulate his devotions as many did. 
bodily flagellations were to no avail. But one thing he did, he determined that every little act of his would be done for the glory of God. When I can do nothing else, he said, it is enough for me to lift up a straw for the love of God. This is from The Practice of the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence, arranged and edited by Douglas V. Steer, published by The Upper Room, 1950, page 28. When, as will happen to any person, he failed in a duty, he only confessed to God, saying, What else can you expect of a human, O God, unless you are with me? Without you, I can only fail. Then after this, he went back to his work with no more uneasiness. Page 13. And when, sometimes, he had not thought of God for a good while, he did not disquiet himself about it, but after acknowledging his wretchedness, returned to God with greater trust. Page 17. The result of such a life, in his words, the times of business does not differ with me from the time of prayer, and in the noise and clatter of my kitchen, while several persons are at the same time calling for different things, I possess God in as great tranquility as if I were upon my knees at the blessed sacraments. Page 24. In the words of others, his very countenance was edifying, such a sweet and calm devotion appearing in it as could not be effect by the beholders. And it was observed that in the greatest hurry of business in the kitchen he still preserved his recollection and heavenly mindedness. He was never hasty nor loitering, but did each thing in its season with an even uninterrupted composure and tranquility of spirit. Page 24. The resources available to Brother Lawrence is available to us when in faith we learn how to use those disciplines that make them available. The secret recesses of concentration's quietness. When noise beats upon us from without, the selective ear turns deaf and silence reigns, and the moment with God illumine our pathway. The timeless treasures of Holy Scripture so often looked for, so seldom looked in, are still in our time negotiable currency in the life of the Spirit. The vast resources of untrammeled prayer, used in faith and simple honesty, can work miracles even in our materialistic age. The very works of human beings, buildings, bridges, laws, communication devices, which to eyes less turned to God seem only spiritual barricades, in faith's sight, turn to evidence in miniature of Almighty God's creative power, and as embodied in hospital, home, church, school, monument, mill, give evidence of human concern for fellow human. Even the press of people in mass offers resources to the Spirit when we, with patience and persistence, extract the individual from the mass. Let us speak kindly to the elevator girl and graciously wave to the other car at the crossing, and receive the responding smile or wave which distinguishes the man from the machine and makes contact with kindred mind and heart. Thy sins be forgiven thee. These words, often on the lips of Christ, come as hopefully as the broad band of blue at the edge of a storm-tossed sky. To souls caught in the evil maelstroms of turbulent human spirits, they are the words of life itself offering release from insisted sin. Evil may be excised from our spirits, even as cysts from our body are excised by the doctor's skill techniques. As with our bodies, so with our spirits, a definite method, proved countless times in the lives of transformed persons, 
provides the means by which to free our souls from sin. This is the method. Contrition, a deep sorrow for sin, an overwhelming sense of regret at allowing ourselves to be caught up in the tempests beyond our control. Repentance, turning the ship of our life to ride with the winds of God's providence and allowing God to guide us into the safety of God's harbor. Confession, exposing our acknowledged guilt to the compassionate understanding of another being. Forgiveness, so distasteful to ask, so delightful to receive, so essential to rescue from the perils of encircling sin. Forgiveness from the one and the ones who have every right to condemn. Most immediately, these methods must be used in our relationships with fellow humans. Leaving our gifts to God on the altar, we must first be reconciled with our neighbor. Only then can we turn in hopeful expectation to the author of our soul's salvation, Almighty God, and in time-tested procedure find release from the storms of sin that keep us from the abundant love which comes from God. Love our neighbor, a command? Yes, to one looking on it from the outside. But to those who by faith reach out to God, who by the disciplines of spirit invite God's presence in, who by the dynamics of forgiveness have been rescued from the storm of sin, to such as these the inflowing of God's love makes the command irrelevant. In the abundance of God's love for us, our service to others, concern for their welfare, and compassion for their needs become as much a part of our life as the tides are part of the sea. Then... Through us, who have been saved by that love, an abundance of love is made available to other humans with whom we share this earth. And together, with them, we go rejoicing in the lives of holiness on God's good earth. Amen. 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 This concludes the sermon, Love, a Phenomenon of Abundance. In our next podcast, we'll be doing the sermon, The Burden of Unforgiving, which was first given February 18, 1979, at the First United Methodist Church, Evansville, Wisconsin. The purpose of that sermon is to show why not forgiving is dangerous. I hope you've been enjoying the podcast from the book, The Holy Ground of Honey Creek, Reflections of a Small Town Pastor, written by Reverend I. Dean Jordan. Thanks for listening. Until next time, I'm John Jordan.